Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to us. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Tech Breakfast podcast. It is Monday, November 2nd, and I actually have two uh, interesting facts to start the day. I was going to pick one, but I decided that that's boring. Two. Yeah, we like got it. two. Yeah, one of them is is very related to something we normally talk about, space. So on Nove- November 2nd, 2000, the first residential crew arrives aboard the International Space Station. Cool. Yeah, the arrival of Expedition 1 marked the beginning of a new era of international cooperation in space. Uh, and of the longest continuous human habitation in low Earth orbit, which continues to this day. So wow. Okay. So that cool. was, yeah. It shows 20 years ago to the day. Yep. 20 years that's, to the that's day. That's impressive. That is impressive. We've, so we have, I, I guess I didn't realize that the International Space Station is continuously habited. Yeah. And I think <laughs> what's awesome. more interesting is the colla- like the cooperation or collaboration, whatever you want to call it, between some countries that just quite frankly, just don't don't like each other that much, depending on, That's depending true. on the year. Uh, in particular, obviously, the US and Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so we you just stop at the US. We don't yeah. play nice all the time. <laughs> right. So there's the US and then there's a bunch of other countries that don't like the US uh, <laughs> right. that, that are involved here. Um, so oh, we have funny. the United States, Russia, Canada, Japan, and in Europe, uh, which agreed in 1998 to, to sort of build and, and operate this thing. And so looks like the first team consisted of two Russians. Uh, I'm going to say Yuri and Sergei, because I'm not going to try and pronounce their last names, uh, accompanied by Bill Shepard from NASA, which was the very first crew to, to go very on the cool. Expedition 1, which is pretty awesome. I was looking forward to you saying the last names. Uh, I, you know, I'll give it a try. Yeah, G- Gids- Gidzenko and Krikalev. I, I think, think I, yeah, yeah, I nailed that for sure, guaranteed. <laughs> uh, the, the next piece that happened, and I let's see, the date it's it's quite a bit uh, earlier. So I think this was in 1932. Uh, was Howard Hughes uh, got the Spruce Goose to fly? And if what you don't that? know what that is, it at one point in time was the largest aircraft ever built. Uh, and it was a flying boat. So I, <laughs> when I, whenever I first uh, was starting to read this, I did not expect it to be a flying boat. Uh, it was a massive wooden aircraft and had a wingspan longer than a football field and was designed to carry more than 700 men to battle. So, wow. It's a, it's a massive boat that oh my gosh it's huge okay so i did i finally pulled it up i got a shot on uh wikipedia of i guess the original version of that and it's a heavy transport okay and so it's the uh i guess the namesake for the h4 hercules um which i guess is it's uh more i don't know modern counterpart i i I guess I don't know. So it's a, it's a, it's still you know, or at least the the beginnings have turned into something because the Hercules are still used in um, well modern aviation for uh, transport. So that's awesome. Gosh, that's huge. From 1947 until his death in 1976, he kept the Spruce Goose prototype ready for flight in an that's enormous climate-controlled hangar at the cost of $1 million per year. That is some dedication right there. Wow. That's incredible. That's cool. 
That's really yeah. cool. Good stuff. Good stuff to uh Indeed. To Good way to kick with. it off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Mondays are How was your yeah. Halloween, man? Halloween was good. We we spent time uh, with kind of a little bit of a block party. Uh, lots of creative, socially distanced uh, candy giving with people who had candy shoots and that's awesome things like that. So it was it was a good time. We met some new neighbors. In fact, out for a walk on Sunday, we we ran into them again. So I think we may have met some new friends. Kate got some around her her age as well. She was Elsa, of course, and, and <laughs> of course, and enjoyed it uh, holistically and. She kept bringing me candy, so I don't think she actually understood the point of Halloween, ah. but I did not correct her. I was going to say that doesn't sound bad. It. No, it was great. How about <laughs> yourself? We had a great Halloween. Uh, we basically stuck to our pod, but there are uh, a few kids in that and kind of did more of a fall festival as opposed to a traditional trick-or-treating. But There you go. We had the kids run between different locations in our collective backyards getting candy from stations uh, so they still got a little bit of that experience my daughter was complaining this morning that her pumpkin is usually full to the brim of candy at the end of halloween so any additional candy that they want to you know or or, uh, that we want to give them would be acceptable today (laughs) (laughs) man that's that's awesome but i I will say that halloween was was not not a great day for everyone uh, as we did lose the great Sean Connery. No, I saw yes. that. I, he Rest was in I, peace, Sean. You, I, yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, memories. he was he was ninety. Um, so he it was, was. not yeah. less jarring than some of the I feel like recent celebrity deaths that that caught people off guard. You know, 60s, 70s, stuff like that. Just it always feels too young. Not that anyone wants Sean Connery dead, but I'm I'm happy that he was in his nineties because. I'd say that's a pretty good long run of it. And uh, oh, yeah. yeah, he certainly brought us a lot of content. I didn't realize he was that old. Uh, you know, I think, and that's what I was going to say. He, he aged so well that, you know, when he was in his various movies that he was in, even in the last few years, I mean, he's been in his 70s and 80s during a lot of the portion of, of time yeah. that we've seen him. And he just carried himself so incredibly well. And, and I remember him for things even outside of the Bonds a lot. Like, my favorite Sean Connery movie is Hunt for the Red October. I, oh, I yeah, that's excellent. I loved that movie, and I thought he just killed it in it. But, of course, you know, no one, you know, he he, he brought in that the infamous line, uh, of course, you know, stating that he's, you know, Bond, James Bond. And so it's, that's what he'll forever be remembered for. And uh, just, yep. just, uh, just a sad day, but it's part of life, obviously. And so, you know, I just wanted to thank him for for all of the wonderful entertainment that he's provided us. And can go back and watch the Rock family. Oh, the Rock was great. It was so good. <laughs> I mean, God, this guy—he was in Indiana Jones. You know, <laughs> I just talk about a life. This guy has lived it. Yeah, no, so he, he, he had a good one. Good yeah, stuff. Absolutely. Good stuff. What about some tech news? You got anything on your mind? That, uh, <laughs> obviously, talk about. Bond films are filled with tech. Oh, um, always, yeah, some that's of true. The most interesting tech, but uh, anything, anything catches. There's a Q. It's Q, right? Q's, oh, yeah. Q's the one that's always Q, bringing. Q's some the one. We should probably bring Q on the show. One of these. That'd be things. awesome. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was. I was always my favorite part of Bond films. Actually, was figuring out what fancy gadget or. Oh yeah, that in the car, tiny. of course. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, which which of course was filled with an absurd. Technology. Filled with all the crazy. We should stuff, maybe you know? do a Bond episode where we pick out our favorite gadgets from. That's from a the good idea. Bond and then films. see what see what's actually available commercially. See, now. Yeah, see what actually is becoming a thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, 
I saw you dropped a link in the notes, and uh, I had actually seen this. I think it was last night, but Disney's new skinless robot that can blink like a human. This thing is terrifying. I man, it's funny because I think back to like my childhood and seeing some of the at the time advanced animatronics and stuff like that. And they were, they were fascinating and also horrifying. It's kind of like wax museums. Like, wow, it's neat that we can do that. Why? <laughs> this <laughs> is right the up that alley. Question is why. <laughs> <laughs> so super, super creepy with it, with the skinless take. Right. But uh, obviously you see this thing dressed up. Uh, it's, it looks like it's going to have some very, very natural human motions. So yes. much breathing and blinking appropriately just that the nuance that really makes you question whether or not something like that's sentient right it's a perfect word right is the nuance it says here and this is coming from the verge a sensor in its chest area covered by a shirt because the face is unsettling enough. <laughs> <laughs> alerts the robot when to turn and face a person in front of it wild and its eye movements shift from direct eye contact to the rapid eye movements known as uh, i don't i don't even know this word saccades saccades yeah i i I read it and just glossed over that one yeah it it also moves slightly up and down to mimic breathing on the chest just unbelievable the the things i mean terminator is so incredibly close Oh yeah! Between now we need once, to once Alexa builds one of these things, we're we're <laughs> in trouble. Hey, speaking of Alexa, this is not in the in the show notes. Um, this is Ooh. more anecdote, but uh, something I thought you might have an opinion about or have run into, and I'd certainly be interested if listeners have had experience with this. But my brother was using um, YouTube Music for his his you know playlists yep. this weekend, and um, I have I have not messed around with youtube music very much but he said hands down and and i gotta give it to him for the the brief playlist experience that i had with him um their algorithm for picking good music that is not just the same songs over and over again like trounces everything else like spotify really? sad uh amazon sad which that one's not terribly surprising because i think amazon's uh mix list like the radios are pretty abysmal they're they're so repetitive that and then pandora i feel like they slipped after their initial go but beating spotify i felt was actually quite the accolade so yeah i would think so uh, I'm, I'm probably gonna dig into it top of the line as, as that goes I mean, yeah you know yeah. it's aggregation theory right it's like the they're the ones that are getting as probably the most data, I would imagine, as far as what people are using from a song right. perspective. Although I, you know, Google probably has a good indication from YouTube for people who search I would think from, so. from, from yeah. music in order to drive those algorithms to make the selection. I'll tell you, I've never used it. Uh, so I'm curious, what device was that on? Like a Google? He was Bluetooth or? streaming to a oh, couple just of a, uh, just, yeah, okay. just a couple of um, speakers that were out by the fire. We had a fire pit out in the back and. Um, but that, so that's that's my rag on it, right? And and some of this is, I think, a problem we're going to have with tech going forward. We have it all the time, so it's not a new issue. But like, I am all but dedicated to the uh, Amazon ecosystem for speakers, right? Sure. Because I started doing the dots, and we've talked about this a lot of times. But mm-hmm. I have fun with that technology. But one of the things that's great about it is, like Whole Home Audio, all of my speakers in all of my places can play the same thing. Oh yeah. But YouTube Music is not a service that you can stream through Alexa devices. Right. So 
I couldn't even use it for that if I wanted to, which I find very frustrating. That's where the, the cross functionality would be mo mo better. <laughs> this is where this is where I struggle with the proprietary nature of yeah. ecosystems, just in general, and, and and people love them, right? Like general consumers love them because they create some level of ease that they believe is not achievable outside of that ecosystem, which I will yeah. vehemently disagree with. Right, but I will fight you know, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will fight you. But nonetheless, like there is that perception, and and people drive that. I actually, it's interesting. I was speaking with there's a. Uh, person, I don't, I don't know a real name. Her name is Vice Sass that we play Counter Strike with, and we had made some comment about Peloton. Obviously, Peloton's mm. big in the tech industry, and she goes, "I really like all of the proprietary work they're doing." And I was like, "That was an incredibly interesting statement that you just yeah, made." I didn't, that? yeah, I, I, I didn't <laughs> dig into it, but she sort of added more color. She's like, "Yeah, I just like it. It's kind of like Apple, how everything is just their own and they own the entire thing, and no one can do anything to it." And I'm like, "That's a, that's horrible." Like yeah. I just that was my immediate thought, but, it's, but you know it was an interesting perspective that that was a desirable thing by yeah. what and, and I don't know her very well, but I would just say sure. by an average consumer, and so yeah. uh, just an interesting perspective. Whereas I feel like this problem we're having is the fact that it's too proprietary and you can't play things across. Whereas Google services are are available on. Everything. everything i mean yeah, people even exactly. make jokes all the time about how google services work better on an iphone than on <laughs> so it's you know it's i'd imagine it's probably not them it's probably the other people preventing them from getting their services I would assume so too. on there well, I, I also don't know there there is a chance i'm not going to just throw amazon right under the bus here sure I don't know enough about the interoperability problems but yeah. there could be technical issues with taking the new source youtube music as opposed to a spotify or pandora or what have you and maybe making it available on the platform, maybe not at a point device, but across whole home audio, because they've had issues with that stuff in the past. I mean, it took a while for Pandora to be available across. On the Fire? Uh, It does. Not not the Fire TV. Yeah, yeah, it works on Amazon. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. The, uh, I don't ever and, use and it, but I'm not mistaken, the Prime, whatever. I, and I'm basically yeah, telling them to same. play Frozen t- soundtrack or Moana soundtrack that's half it. the time. So that's, over that's over all here. I really yes. need them to do. <laughs> um, but but I'm, I'm curious to know if there's actually like an implementation hurdle there that they're either not wanting to invest in or or if it is just, you know, playing the, the anti-competitive game, right? Right. Um, but I'm sure, like YouTube Music. In fact, I should do this. I think I still have a Connect laying around somewhere. Um, I should go see if YouTube Music is available on the Sonos ecosystem, because that's no, one no, thing that's Sonos point. obviously nailed was the right. speakers playing across many of them. And I think they use the one, Google right? Assistant too. Um, do they now? Sonos. They, 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 have least, they, ha- they have some versions that. that yeah, the so they're clever. I I couldn't do Sonos not for quality reasons uh it was dollars that sonos is so expensive especially because if i added up the sheer volume of speakers that i have distributed throughout my house and garage and stuff like that like nope sonos i'd have to sell my cars (laughs) just to afford that sonos yeah it's probably not worth it um i I, i'd I'd be remiss you know i just mentioned uh, a female 
player in Counter-Strike. Uh, and, you know, yes, girls do play games as every <laughs> shocked. Like we, you know, we have we have a, a couple of Jay, you what know, that play in our group. And so it's we'll join a game and there's someone on the other team. They'll hear their voice and they'll say, hey, are you a girl or are you a little kid? It's like it's it's constant. It's, God, it's so awful. annoying listening to people say things like that. But in the vein of that, Cloud9, which is a very large esports organization, Signed the very first all female Valorant professional team. Oh, cool! Uh, so, so that was very cool. There, there are plenty of female professional esports teams, in particular in Counter Strike. This is the first one in Valorant, so it was it was really cool to see. Uh, and if, if if you're wondering, people are probably like, "Why do you need to have an all female team for a video game if they play on the same team?" They absolutely can play on the same teams. In fact, there's been uh, females who've played on predominantly male teams in the primary leagues for rainbow six they've done it in overwatch league and a few others but there are some some teams that just build and form together as as all female teams and they get signed and they can either compete in an all-female league or they could join into the traditional nor i guess normal leagues where uh, the men usually play but they oftentimes play in the female leagues i think that there's actually barriers trying to be brought brought down to prevent that from happening uh, to where they'll actually all play in the same leagues, but a lot of the females actually like to play. And there was actually a, an all-female Warzone tournament this this weekend. So I, I just think it's really cool to see uh, them getting in there. Uh, pretty much any time I play against a high-level female player in Counter-Strike, they destroy me. So uh, they, <laughs> they, they absolutely uh, have the talent to do it, and I just just love seeing them be represented out there in, in what what is a pretty hard place. I mean, like like I said, I was going to say that's ultra competitive. Yeah, it's ultra competitive. Men are men, you know. So mm-hmm. they say stupid things like, "Are you actually a girl, or are you just a little kid?" You know, like all the time. I'm talking. This is they common. should just offer bans for that crap. They, they should. I agree. We usually mute them, quite frankly, uh, yeah. whenever we're playing with them, uh, or it's you know it's my buddy's <laughs> wife playing with us, and we're like. And they'll start, you know, saying stupid things to her. And we're like, yeah, this is uh, this guy's wife that's playing with you as well. And then they shut up real quick. <laughs> so it's it's, just a, it's it's a sad state. But, you know, admittedly, there's a lot of young kids who are playing and they just they're immature. But yeah, but it's great to see yeah. even with those things in front of them, them continuing to progress in the scene. Uh, another esports related thing. And this is actually huge. Um, I could do an entire show on this one, but I will not. Um <laughs> 100 Thieves, which is a very new but highly successful organization owned by a guy named I've heard of uh, Matthew Haig or Hogg. I don't know how you pronounce it, but he's, his, his name is Nade Shot by his gamer tag. He was a prefor- former professional uh, Call of Duty player. He's very, very popular. And he was on Optic Gaming, it's, which is one of the most legendary organizations ever. Well... Optic Gaming went through this whole round of being sold and bought and resold and all this stuff. Well, the original owner of Optic ended up buying the brand back. That brand owned a CDL spot, which is the Call of Duty League spot, which he already owned another team in. So he cannot own both spots. So he had to sell the Optic spot. He sold it to 100 Thieves, which was his former player and and, and partner uh, at Optic. And so... 100 thieves with Nate Chalk coming into this league, buying a you know supposedly 25 million dollar spot, is wow. huge and it's really big news. The fact that the people who are involved in the transaction and just who's getting involved in Call of Duty, it's it's really really good for the league just getting these bigger names in. So that was that was massive news. I've actually had it in the show notes for like <laughs> the last four shows. And I oh, that's funny. Bring it up. Was it, yeah, did you so say so? So the the guy that bought it, he bought it for 25 million. 
Yeah, that, the original spot was $25 million. I have no idea what Hector, who's the owner of... Uh, he's a mm-hmm. co-CEO of NRG Esports, and he is now the re-owner. He's the original creator of Optic. He sold you. it to Nadeshot, who owns 100 Thieves. I assume he, he that Nadeshot paid at least whatever the payment amount was left on the spot. So it's $25 yeah, million enough. over a couple of years. And if they paid $2 million last year, maybe he paid twenty three. I, I don't gotcha. know. But it was in that general vicinity, for sure. So yeah, a couple interesting. It's always, it's always things. fun for me to hear the the big numbers around those teams and stuff like that. It just it yeah. always helps us kind of put it back into perspective how popular and valuable, um, you know, competitive gaming is. Yeah, in players, man. The the Dallas Fuel owner, which is a Overwatch team um, owner, he owns the Dallas Empire as well as well as Team Envy. Endemic esports organization. He's he's catching some flack from basically all of esports right now for buying players. He's basically going New York Yankees <laughs> on the organization. He's so upset about just failing in the Overwatch League from a performance perspective that he is going to all these other teams and he is just buying out their players. Just buying them up. Just driving people crazy hey, he was it like works that way in every other sport right it's exactly he was like listen i'm about winning like some teams want to sell you hoodies i want to i want you to experience winning so i'm going to go just spend <laughs> as much as i can in order to get it and i respect that so you you keep that's at hilarious. him mike you keep doing that's that awesome. representing dfw love it all right shifting gears um i saw a couple articles actually about this but the raspberry pi 400 um which is a a compact yeah, keyboard that has that the too. entire Raspberry Pi baked into it. It does have some specs that are a bit above and beyond last year's Raspberry Pi 4. Um, and, and it looks like, you know, for everything I read, what they've always been trying to do with the Raspberry Pi was make a super affordable, accessible you know, computer available to hopefully sort of incite more development, basically. Draw yeah. the kids in kind of stuff. Um so I thought that was cool. This this one's neat. It is very much like ready to go out of the box. Plug Did they list a price? Fired up for this. It's a hundred bucks with the starter kit, which I think includes like a beginner's guide and a power uh, adapter and stuff like that. And then there's a seventy dollar version, which sounded like it might just not have like an SD card and the um, hmm. the okay. book. So, uh, so somewhere between seventy and hundred bucks. Yeah. How to use a Raspberry Pi? Then right, pretty much. And then I, something else there too, like one, I, I'm always watching Raspberry Pis. I've got a few of those around and, and I try to get my kids to do little projects with them and stuff like that. And I'm super tempted to pick one of these up and just make it their computer. Um, yeah. Because I've got an old small form factor PC that they've used for just little things like typing applications and stuff, but it's kludgy and old and you know big and loud. And it's just like, no, actually this sounds cool. And to pair with that, Canonical finally release yeah. a Raspberry Pi as first class citizen release of Ubuntu, um, which is the gorilla release. And and that that was really big in the Pi space. Um, but I think probably for obvious reasons, anyone that's familiar with like a native operating system, Ubuntu, of course, is a huge release. But they have uh, to date not actually targeted it as a platform. So that it was always kind of like a workaround or you have to get right. it back from somebody else. So th- that's huge. Yeah, the Linux community always sort of pushed that forward on their own. It is huge getting Canonical to support it. Speaking of Canonical, I actually upgraded uh, one of my servers yesterday from 1804 to uh, 2004.1, so everyone can sleep Thanks. soundly at night knowing that yeah, I'll I'm sleep better. at least more up-to-date on the LTS version. Sure. <laughs> so, no, this is great. I actually really like this form factor, too, This the way this keyboard it's great. works out. Yeah. And I, I could see this being adopted for 
other things too. Meaning I, I, I could see a keyboard type of layout for a, a more traditional computer. I mean, we've seen it to sure. where you, it, it's the opposite of where you traditionally see the all-in-ones. Like normally the all-in-ones are in the monitor. Right. I like the idea of having a monitor and swapping out this little sort of keyboard that has the I'm with you. all-in-one built into it. I, I don't know why. It's just, it, it sticks out to me as a really I, cool idea. I don't think this is the first one, but but I will give Raspberry Pi the hint here, just because it's 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 perfect for a Raspberry Pi, right? Your, is, your little absolutely. pies already work this way. You just need the HDMI cable and a power adapter, right? For sure. Put it into the keyboard, and you're one step closer to just you know unwrapping it and then plopping it out up against the monitor. But I love the idea of being able to change out your your monitor, or even better in some cases, just move it between places, right? Yeah, that's uh, kind of what got, I'm thinking. I, I might again look at one of these just to just to toy around with it. But I've got um, like an old monitor that sits next to my 3D printer, and I've got I, ha- I had another old monitor where the kids were using stuff, and I've considered having something like that out in my garage. This is actually be a pretty, uh, I think, convenient way to just move. A keyboard-sized computer between those because uh, I'm I'm rarely using those constantly. Right? I think I'm getting one of these. I don't know. I I, <laughs> I feel like I need one of these. I'm, I think I'm gonna order. I'm, I'm leaning that way. They, they, yeah. In the article, it talked about like, um, you know, having them underneath a Christmas tree or, or you know, as a holiday celebration idea. And I was like, I kind of want to do that. I mean, my kids don't need anything like this, but I kind of want it under my tree now. Yeah. <laughs> No, I feel you, hundred percent. I, I don't think my nephew is really at this point yet. I mean, right now he's just mostly you know looking at Fortnite. But uh, I would I would like to see. I mean, obviously Kate when she's older will get something like this for sure. But this is I don't know. This is a cool idea. I hope I hope this form factor continues. I am a fan. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. I wonder yeah. could could you play Fortnite effectively on a Pi Four? Uh, absolutely not. No. Didn't no, think you so. did not. <laughs> that kind of felt like that would be no way that that would limit, be a thing. It would, uh, it would explode. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. so maybe now I really want to try it. <laughs> uh, what else see. you got? What else do we have here? Yeah, so I have one thing that's sort of interesting. I mean, I haven't been, a, I guess, a student in a while, but I do wonder how I would feel about this. So apparently there has been uh, eye tracking being used in exam surveillance tools. And uh, students are rebelling against this. I, I don't know how I feel about this because I don't cheat on exams. So part of me says it's like, well, I'm not cheating. So who cares? But the other side of me, I, this is getting every time I read something like this, I'm like, we're getting closer and closer to minority report. And this stuff is driving right. me crazy. So I, I don't think you I like up, it. You've been ejected from school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that, that I, I struggle with. So I don't know that I'm, that I'm good with this. Uh, I'd be curious, maybe your thoughts, since you you actually have kids who are school age, right? I, I do. Yeah, know. yeah, but I mean, young. Um, they're really not in a position at this point where cheating would even be on their radar. I'm not sure right. that they'd know that that's possible, um, because you know my daughter's in second grade, and that's as far along the school path as as my kids are. But I, I'm torn on this one too. I mean, I'm all for schools, teachers, you know, just administrations in general having the ability to sort of protect against cheating yep but i i would argue depending on what age we're talking about right it's one thing if this is college and you're trying to prevent students that are trying to get degrees and go into the workforce from cheating sure whether that impacts the quality of their work down the line totally different argument but 
if it's like elementary school kid, grade kids or middle or high school, um, to use kind of the U.S. hierarchy for, for education, mm-hmm. um, I kind of feel like you don't need those tools. You just need to continuously reinforce the ethical standards. Like you're, you're not really stopping a kid from cheating in sixth grade math isn't nearly as important as helping them understand why one does not cheat on sixth grade math. It it does point (laughs) out here, apparently there was a study, and this probably leads to it, so college kids listen to this and stop. Um, Proctoring companies cite studies estimating that between 50 and 70% of college students will attempt (sighs) some form of cheating and warn that cheating will be rampant if students are left unmonitored in their own homes. So, uh, you know, maybe that's the driving motivation. I mean, I I have no idea if there's... But but if I was selling a product and I could incite that much fear, I... Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, if that, you don't buy my stuff sure. to prevent them from cheating, they will burn the world to the ground. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and, <laughs> don't and be know, responsible I, for that. <laughs> I think we're probably getting pretty close to needing to shut this down. I know we're on time, so maybe one more thing here, unless you have something else. But it is a no, something that I think is. I just think it's hugely important, uh, and this is this is revolutionary. Is the the title of or the headline? New online bookshop unites indies to rival Amazon. And, and I haven't gone into detail of what this is, but the the genesis of this, the idea is it is an online bookshop that allows for local bookstores to sort of continue to flourish. And, and it sort of represents them and lets them sell on it. And so uh, they've started with... Uh, 250 bookshops uh, and more than 900 stores have now uh, signed up in the U.S. and they're expanding to Europe. And so it's just this idea of they're trying to combat sort of the, I don't know if you'd call it ubiquitous or, or almost almost sole proprietor nature of what yeah. Amazon is to books now. And and I just think that I like seeing things like this. I, I want yeah, to yeah. support this effort. And so I like seeing that. I thought it was great. Uh, I do buy from independent platforms from time to time. I've had some some authors... Uh, that I've bought from in the past that that do distribute on on various independent platforms, and I will buy their you know PDF based versions, or, or or even they can give versions that work with the Kindle, which I do have, which is obviously supporting Amazon. Um, uh, the they have the option to do that, so I, I like seeing this. I'm probably going to check it out and see um, whenever I have uh, whenever I'm looking to buy a new book if it is supported on this platform. So I like the idea. I also like local bookstores. I'm not a real book bookworm. But I do mm. like I do like being in bookstores. I don't know why. I've always just liked the oh, bookstores are awesome like that. So, especially yeah. if you find some some of the older ones. I really like the mission. This bookshop is is B Corporation is what they're saying, or I guess you started this. And the mission statement is mm-hmm. to benefit the public good by contributing to the welfare of independent literary community. I agree. Um, and that's really neat. And and it actually this article is pretty cool. And anybody that finds this interesting should definitely read through it. But it talked about um, you know how successful this has been for these bookshops um, and independent resellers too. They they literally went from fifty thousand dollars worth of books in February to fifty thousand a day in March, um, and then up to one hundred fifty thousand a day in April. So so this is actually helping them substantially. I mean, that's a huge oh, yeah. escalation of, of income, which is really fun to see. Um, what what will be curious is the way that they do this. They sign up for this, and then they literally say that these these books cannot be sold on lar- through large retailers. So it's not just we're doing this. We've got a storefront. It's if you want it on here, it cannot be sold on Amazon. So that this is actually really curious. Yeah, and, uh, very interesting. 
it, it sort of forces their hand. I don't know how much I love that part or not. I, I think it sort of waits to be seen, but I do think that it's a, if you think about it, a local bookstore would have only sold books inside of its local bookstore. So it's trying yeah. to maintain that, that level of access, but it's also providing them a, a much further reach, which is, I'm imagining, incredibly helpful during oh, a sure. 2020 pandemic. So it's, it's just well, good to see. I like it. And and who wants all of your bookstores to, to die? I know I certainly don't. I, I do remember not. even even when the Barnes and Nobles and what was the other one? I can't even remember the name. But uh, when they sort of started squashing all of the smaller independent bookstores, so that was sad, but at least you still had a place to go to your point about saying it's fun to walk around inside a bookstore. Well, now those are dying too. And it's like you've got libraries if your municipalities are funding them well or the internet. And that's that kind of sucks. Yep, so this probably wouldn't be a problem today, but when I was in college, uh, I had a professor move the deadline of a book report up three weeks. What? Yep, I had not bought Same, the right? book, and it was <laughs> the next day. Uh, he loved to have these little uh, surprises for us. Surprise. And the only bookstore in Lubbock that had it was a local bookstore. I'm talking like the kind nice. you see in Never Ending Story where you walk in and it's like <laughs> everything is stacked really high on... Bound in leather. Nothing. Yeah, and I had, to, I had to ask the owner, who's the only employee, like, hey, do you have this book? Where is it? You said you, you were going to hold it. And he had to go pull it from under a stack of books. I mean, only he that knew his organizational fantastic. method. Exactly. And I want <laughs> that guy's business to thrive because he saved me. I read that book yes. that night. I got a C on my report, but I will take it. Um, and so that's what I want to make sure we are preserving uh, through this process. That is fantastic. And on that note, I think we're going to bring this episode of the oh, Tech yeah. Breakfast Podcast to a close. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for listening. We had a good time. Hope you did too. If you got anything we missed or any ideas, or you'd like to come join us on a show, let us know. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for sharing with your friends. And don't forget... We've got a Patreon out there. If you want to support what we're doing, let us know by clicking through. Question mark? Question mark? <laughs> have, a, have a great Monday, y'all. We will talk to you on Wednesday. Peace. Later.